welcome to the Earth Rangers podcast. My name is Emma, and today, I wonder what you think of snakes. Slimy or shiny, creepy or magnificent? Because personally, I just love them. to you to discover this, but some people aren't huge fans of snakes. I personally think snakes are pretty super. They eat pests, they're cool looking, and they're found on every continent except Antarctica. Some of them are venomous, but most snakes are shy and completely not dangerous to humans. Want to learn more? Stick around. So, we know that some people find snakes a bit creepy, but why? It's time to clear up a few myths about snakes. Let's play triple true or false. 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 Let's start with number one. True or false. All snakes are venomous. What do you think, Earth Rangers? If you said false, you're right. In fact, out of over 3,000 species of snake, only 600 are venomous. Out of those, only about 200 are able to severely hurt or kill a person. And even those that are venomous are usually pretty shy and do their best to avoid people. Okay, okay, okay. I know, that one was pretty easy. Let's move on to the next one. True. Or false, non-venomous snakes only eat small animals. Quick, true or false? Hmm, I don't think a python would agree with that. The answer is, of course, false. Non-venomous snake can use something called constriction to catch their meal. That's like a really, really intense hug. Or in some cases, they just swallow that snack whole while it's still alive. Whoa. Okay, last one. True or false? Snakes flick their tongue to smell their surroundings. Vote now. And this one is true. To learn about their surroundings, snakes can also use pit holes near their eyes that can sense heat, like the warmth of a warm-blooded creature that might make a tasty dinner. Snakes also have bones in their jaws that help to pick up vibrations that come from the movements of little animals. So no worries about snakes not being able to find their food. Okay, Earth Rangers, you remember how I said that most snakes aren't dangerous and wouldn't bother a person? Well. I mean, that's true. Most aren't and wouldn't. But there are a few who, well, they're not exactly the type of snake you'd want to get up close and personal with. Let's have a top five countdown of the world's most dangerous snakes. Number five, Père de Lance. This pit viper, also called yellow chin, is native to South America. These snakes are about two meters long and they're pretty aggressive and quick to strike. Their venom is potent, and if you get bitten, you need to go to a hospital quickly. Number four, tiger snake. This snake is native to Australia, and it has a bad reputation. When someone encounters a tiger snake, they're likely to flatten their head and neck and raise up like a cobra. 
they're trying to make themselves look as scary as possible before having to resort to a bite. Interestingly, this snake doesn't lay eggs. It's a live bearer. That means it gives birth to up to 30 live young. Whoa, mama! Number three, King Cobra. This is the world's longest venomous snake. It has such strong venom that it can actually kill an elephant. Needless to say, if a person gets bitten, they have a really short period of time to get help. Luckily, there is an anti-venom. Number two, Black Mamba. This snake also wins the fastest snake award. It can move at a disturbingly fast speed of 5.5 meters per second. They live in southern and eastern African countries, and they can grow to a length of up to four meters. And did I mention their venom? If you get bitten by one of these fast, aggressive snakes, you'll have less than 20 minutes to get the anti-venom. Number one, saw-scaled viper. This snake is found in many different parts of the world, from Africa all the way to Asian countries like India and Sri Lanka. It's a sidewinder, and although it's not very big, it's really grumpy and aggressive, which makes it really quick to strike. Whoa, that's intense. Okay guys, after all that venom, I think it's time for a more chill snake. Let's get to know a Canadian non-venomous snake a little bit better. I think it's time to meet the Eastern Milk Snake. In fact, it's today's featured creature. Creature, feature, creature, feature. Eastern milk snakes live throughout southern Ontario in Canada, all the way down to North Carolina in the USA. These reptiles are pretty distinctive looking, with smooth, shiny scales that are tan or gray, and are patterned with red-brown blotches outlined in black. Milk snakes are carnivores and eat anything from insect to small animals. They aren't super rare, but their population size is susceptible to land development, disturbance from humans, and being collected to be sold as pets, among other things. When it's time to have babies, the female milk snake will lay a clutch of around 10 eggs in June or July. The eggs are laid beneath logs or rocks and are left to incubate for around two months. When the eggs hatch in August or September, Mama Milk Snake isn't exactly super involved in raising their hatchlings. Most snake parents aren't. The baby snakes are on their own, and it's a challenging world out there. Milk snakes are prey for animals like raccoons, skunks, foxes, and coyotes. Milk snakes live, on average, 10 years in the wild, so it's important that they have a safe habitat to call their own. Now that you know a ton about the milk snake, I bet you'd like one for your very own, right? Well, not a real milk snake, but an adopted one. If you visit the Earth Rangers app, you can adopt a virtual or plush milk snake. Mine, of course, is called Strawberry because it's my favorite kind of milkshake. Get it? Milkshake, milk snake. Um, anyways, you can't go wrong with a cute little snake like this one. And by adopting a milk snake, you'll help to support work led by Toronto Region Conservation Authority. They're working to restore and create new habitats in the Meadowway, a 16-kilometer urban park. It will be home to more than 1,000 species of animals and plants, including eastern milk snakes. The Meadowway will be a year-round habitat for some animals, while also allowing migrating animals to have a safe place to rest and fuel up for their trip to warmer areas. I really wanted to know more about this amazing project, so I reached out to Tyson Reed, who's a wildlife technician of the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority and part of the Medaway team. 
He probably knows a lot about milk snakes, too. Ooh, let's see if he's online. Yep, okay. Well, let's ask him if he has time for a quick chat. Yep, he's free now. Great, let me dial him in. Hello? Oh, hi, Dyson. I was wondering if I could ask you some questions about the Meadowway. Certainly. What kind of questions did you have in mind? Oh, questions about the creatures, questions about the project, so many questions. But, but first, um, I want to know a little bit more about you. You're a wildlife technician, right? What does that mean? Yeah, so we do all sorts of work. There's lots of wildlife in the Toronto area, and my job is to try and find ways to improve their habitat and increase their ability to make use of the uh, natural areas we have in Toronto. Ah, oh, that sounds lovely. What do you like most about your job? Oh, there's so many great things about working working outside every, well, most days of the year. Uh, I get to see the lovely weather that we have and some of the natural spaces in the greater Toronto area. But also working with animals is certainly a, a thrill most days. That's probably my favorite part of the job is getting to spend most of my days working with animals or on their behalf. So whatever the case is, that, that normally brightens up my day is knowing that uh, we'll hopefully be doing some some good for, for animals somewhere in the Toronto area. For sure. In your job, do you ever get close to animals? How do you do that? Well, we do sometimes end up having to get close to animals, but most often we try to give them their space. Um, animals get pretty nervous about humans sometimes, and they often act a lot more natural if you give them some space and they don't realize that you're watching them. So sometimes we do get close to them and you have to be a little bit sneaky and be very cautious about handling them or, or approaching them. But generally, if we can, we try to give them some space so that uh, they don't get scared and leave or act unnatural. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Can you explain to our listeners what the Medaway Project is and why it's so important? Well, I would be very happy to do that. The Medaway is a, a project that the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority has been working with in partnership with uh, Infrastructure Ontario, Hydro One Network Incorporated, the City of Toronto, and the Weston Family Foundation. We're working with uh, all the partners in this project to create a 16-kilometer trail from the Rouge National Urban Park to the Don Valley Trail that'll include 114 hectares of wildflower meadow that we will be restoring, which will provide a lot more to the, the birds, the bees, the animals and insects that, uh, that live and, and need those natural spaces that are becoming less and less common sometimes. For sure. That project sounds amazing. We were just talking about eastern milk snakes. Have you ever seen any during your work? Certainly. We've actually recently had one get into our office one day. Someone had left the door propped open a little bit. And this time of year, they're really looking for warmer places that they can get to for the winter time. So we've had them get into our office before, and they're quite a surprise to see. They're a fairly large snake. They can get up to almost four feet long or over a meter in length. And while they are harmless, which largely all of our snakes in southern Ontario are, are not venomous snakes. So if they did bite, they wouldn't be poisonous. Gotcha. What do they like to eat? Milk snakes very much like to eat rodents. That's their main, their main food source. They will occasionally eat other snakes, other animals such as small birds, bird eggs, and uh, 
uh, many other things that they could simply catch and get in their mouth. However, most of the time, mice and rats would be their most common food source. Part of the way they got their name is because they like to eat mice and other rodents, the milk snakes were often found in, inside barns, and farmers thought that they would drink the milk from the cows. So while this isn't true, that's where their name actually came from. <laughs> that's really neat. Um, how does the Medaway Project help to protect eastern milk snakes? The Medaway allows them to, first of all, move between different areas. And that's very important, as most of our rivers tend to flow in a north-south direction. Sometimes it gets hard for animals to travel between those river corridors. And the Medaway generally will be traveling in an east-west direction, crossing from one to another watershed so they can go and visit their long-lost relatives further away. This helps them to increase the diversity of the genetics in their species. In addition, the benefits of a wildflower meadow versus a mowed green grass is there's far more opportunities for them to hide and find homes in the natural meadow full of wildflowers. As you can imagine, it's not too hard to find something when there's only a, a little bit of grass for them to hide in. But when the plants can be four to six feet tall and obstacles like wood and logs, it provides lots and lots and lots of homes for snakes that would not be there if it wasn't for the larger, taller vegetation. So this really improves the resources that are available for them. So those are probably two of the biggest factors that have a positive impact on milk snakes. That's really cool. What can we do as individuals to help them? What we can do as individuals to help the milk snake is largely allow them to just live their life. We really have to watch if we're biking around or if we're driving with our parents on the road. And we really just want to make sure that if we do find them, say, in our basement, maybe we can allow them to stay for the winter or if we can maybe allow them uh, a nice warm spot. Those are probably some of the biggest things we can do for milk snakes. So just leave them be and let them do their thing. That's right. Gotcha. What would you say your favorite Medaway animal is? There's so many animals that use the Medaway. That's why it's so important. There's all sorts of birds and insects that really like the Medaway. One thing that you'll almost always see in the summer if you go visit the Medaway is monarch butterflies. They love a lot of the wildflowers that you'll find in there, but there's so many insects as well. There's a lot of birds that'll use the Medaway. We find all sorts of different sparrows, like field sparrows. There's eastern towhees and savanna sparrows throughout the Medaway, and they're an excellent indicator of environmental quality. So the more species you can find, generally the healthier the habitat. Hmm. Um, so lastly, do you have any tips for visitors to the Medaway who are hoping to see wildlife? Certainly. One of the best tips that I can give people that want to see wildlife is to bring a pair of binoculars and a hat. The binoculars let you get the same look you'd get if you were really up close and personal with, say, a milk snake or a, a bird you're interested in because it's easier to watch them from a distance rather than frightening them if you try to get too close. And a hat is handy because when it's sunny, sometimes it's hard to see through your binoculars without the hat. So if you're coming to the Medaway and you'd like to see lots of animals, I would highly recommend bringing your binoculars. Gotcha. Well, ne next time I visit, I'll definitely bring my pair. 
great. <laughs> Tyson, thank you so much for talking to me today and for the important work that you're doing to keep these creatures safe and give them a nice habitat to live in. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for calling me. And good luck to all of you that are go out to see animals in the Meadowway. And hopefully you bring your binoculars with you as well and get to see lots of interesting animals. We can all do our part to try and help them, even if it just means leaving them alone a little bit. But good luck with your hunt for the animals out there. And I hope you come visit the Meadowway shortly. As soon as I can. Bye, Tyson. Bye-bye. <coughs> Rangers! Whoa, it was so cool to hear about this project. It's really amazing that it's home to so many creatures. Okay, now it's time for another episode of Emma's Chemistry Corner and our next at-home experiment. It's Emma's Chemistry Welcome back to Emma's Chemistry Corner, brought to you with help from our friends at BASF. In today's episode, we'll become environmental scientists. Environmental scientists study how we can protect the environment. Many environmental scientists are chemists because chemistry can really help us to understand ecosystems and look for ways to protect them. Chemistry also plays a huge role in creating materials that can help protect the environment, like biodegradable plastics or new kinds of eco-friendly fuels. One important thing environmental scientists often do is going to different locations to take samples of the water or soil and measure different properties of them over time. It can tell us how healthy the ecosystem is. Aquatic ecosystems like lakes, swamps, rivers, and oceans are really sensitive to pollution and other changes in the environment. And one of the major threats to aquatic ecosystems is acidity. What's acidity? Well, when something is acidic, it can taste sour, like lemon juice or vinegar. Also, in our stomach, there are really strong acids that help us digest our food. So what's the opposite of acidic then? Well, in chemistry, it's called basic or alkaline. But there's not many alkaline foods we can eat, so it's hard to describe what it should taste like. But good examples of alkaline materials in daily life would be soap, baking soda, and laundry detergent. Maybe you've heard of the term pH before? pH is a measure of if something is acidic or alkaline. A pH of 7 is right in the middle. It's neutral. Any number below 7 is acidic, and any number above 7 is alkaline. What's important is that acidity level is really crucial for the health of aquatic ecosystems. Why? Well, because many aquatic animals like algae, coral, and many other organisms can only live in very specific conditions. So when the water around them is different than what they're used to, they can get sick or die. And when the water in aquatic ecosystems becomes too acidic, many animals that used to live there can't survive. It's true for small lakes and ponds, but also for the oceans. Environmental scientists take water samples from aquatic ecosystems over the years to check how the acidity changes over time. And they do so by using something called an indicator. An indicator is a thing that tells them how acidic or alkaline the water is. And in today's experiment, we're going to do a similar thing. We'll check how acidic or alkaline different materials are using a very special indicator. One that is super high-tech and very scientific and it's, ca it's ca cabbage? Red cabbage? Wait a minute, whoa, what?
Yes, red, uh, yes, red cabbage. But really? I mean, that's what it says here in my notes. But maybe, maybe it's a mistake. I don't know. You know what? We're just gonna have to try and see. Okay, so, yes, for this experiment, you will need one red cabbage and a big potter bowl that can contain boiling water. We'll also need a few more things, but for now, just focus on the cabbage. Take it out and tear a few leaves off into small pieces with your hands and put it in a big potter bowl. For this part, you'll need a grown-up. Ask them to pour boiling water into the pot and let it stand until the water is purple and cooled down. It can take an hour or so for it to cool, so wait patiently. In the meantime, you can prepare all the other materials you'd like to check. They have to be liquid or water-soluble so you can dissolve them in the water. You'll need a few transparent glasses as well for each of the samples that you want to check. Okay, so first you put one teaspoon of each of the materials in a separate glass. And then add cold water to fill it up to the half and then mix. You can leave the teaspoon inside the glass because we'll use it later. Ask a grown-up to help you preparing these glasses with different materials because some of them are not so healthy. I recommend lemon juice, vinegar, salt, egg white, liquid soap, and laundry detergent. You can also test other materials if you'd like. Remember, one teaspoon of each in each separate glass. Add water up to the halfway mark and mix. Just remember to label each glass so you know what you put in it. And be careful that no one drinks it by accident. Just stay close to your experiment. Hey, I'll wait while you prepare everything. But, I mean, you could also pause. Wait, 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 wait while the experiment gets set up. Stuff in glasses, glasses and stuff. Everything ready? Cool. If the water with the cabbage leaves is nice and cold and purple, beautiful, that's great. Use a label to pour some of the purple water, without the leaves, into each of the glasses and fill them up. Then use the teaspoon to mix it and watch the magic happen. You should see the color of the purple water change. If you used vinegar or lemon juice, it should turn pink. If you use laundry detergent, it should become blue or green. And in the salt, liquid soap, and egg white, it should still be purple, but maybe a bit more blue in the glass containing the egg white or the soap. And why is that? Well, remember the acidity? The red cabbage contains a molecule called anthocyanin, and it's a good indicator of acidity, which means that it changes its color according to how acidic or alkaline something is. The lemon juice and vinegar are acidic, so the anthocyanin in the cabbage water becomes pink. The laundry detergent is alkaline, so the anthocyanin becomes blue. And the salt water is neutral, so not acidic or alkaline, so it remains purple. Environmental scientists use acidity indicators like this to examine water samples. It helps them to know if an aquatic ecosystem is healthy or not, so we can understand it better and know how to protect it. But in any case, it's nice to have this rainbow of colors. Ooh, one more thing. Don't forget to clean up your experiment. Every chemist knows the importance of a spotless lab. Stay tuned for our next Chemistry Corner, where we'll talk to a real environmental scientist. Earth Rangers! Wow, who knew you could do all that with a cabbage? I hope some of you had a chance to follow along. Just like last time, if you want to share your experiments with us, you can ask your parents to follow Earth Rangers on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and tag your photo as hashtag Emma's Chemistry. I am so, so curious to see if your experiments look like mine. Okay, just before we sign off, we do have time for one more thing. An animal encounter. Psst, what is it? Oh. Wow. <laughs> 
Our story this time comes from listener Robin. My animal encounter. My dad said that he saw something moving on the driveway, so we went to look at it, and it was a baby snapping turtle. We have wetlands around our house, so we thought she hatched from that. And was trying to find fresh water because the wetlands dried up. My dad used a plastic tray to pick her up because he didn't want to hurt her. We moved her into a bucket with a little bit of water and put a rock into it. And then we brought her into a nearby pond. She. Was happy to be in her new habitat. A baby snapping turtle. That sounds so cute. And you sure did the right thing by helping her reach a new home. Hopefully, little Snappy is alive and well. Thanks, Robin. That's a great story. Oh, and for the rest of our listeners, if you want to have a chance for your stories to feature on our podcast, you have until next week. Remember that every submission we receive by December fifteenth gets entered into the contest, no matter if we get a chance to play it here on the pod or not. Good luck! Well, Earth Rangers, we've learned a ton about snakes today. I hope if you weren't a huge snake fan before this episode, that you are now. Hopefully, I'll be able to introduce you to Floyd or Phantom in one of our future episodes. They're some of our animal ambassadors here at Earth Rangers. Floyd is a ball python, and Phantom is a black pine snake, and both of them are super sweet and adorable. I'll post a picture of both of them in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, stay green, stay awesome, and keep on ranging. Hey parents and teachers, have you heard about gzmclassroom.com? It's a website where teachers can get companion resources for everyone's favorite GZM shows. Six Minutes, Mars Patel, Podcast Title Pending, Seis Minutos, The Res, Becoming Mother Nature, Iowa Chapman and the Last Dog, Treasure Island 2020, The Hollow, Young Ben Franklin, and The Big Fib all have companion resources for additional critical thinking, listening comprehension, and ultimately creativity. We made them just for you. And oh yeah, they're free. Free! The people on Facebook didn't believe us, but they are F-R-E-E free. Head to gzmclassroom.com and get yours today. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com.